ladies and gentlemen, welcome back once again. We have another episode of the Roundhouse Table coming to you from your two favorite hosts, myself, Matthew Brotsky, and the overdressed, looking beautiful, Alessandra Rafa. Rafa, how are we doing tonight on this Friday evening? Listen, there's no there's no work-life balance, man. We're going right from work into more work. It's a Friday night, but I would not want to spend it any other way than talking about this incredible card that we have mm-hmm. coming up. Couldn't have I think a good myself. a good uh, you know barometer of how incredible this card is. If you look at the lines, there's no mega favorites here. This is a super tight card which makes me very nervous for the picks because you know all these fights are essentially a pick them actually yeah literally every fight on the main card um is within no one is uh above a 200 or no one no one's above a minus 160 actually so it's all relatively close even the prelims i think there's no there's no 250 favorites hey that's a testament which is dana white and the matchmaking teams they're putting on fair fights competitive fights i agree i agree I agree. And it's not, you don't see that every day, you know, no, not at all. You, there's usually a minus 400 or minus 300, something crazy like that. It looks like the biggest difference here is the opening fight of the night is a minus 220. That's all. That's the biggest line that we have. But uh, yeah, we're obviously talking about UFC 262 today. This will be our picks episode for the main card. Uh, we were not able to get last week's picks in um, kind of a weak card, not, not really to go off of there, the Watterson uh, Rodriguez main event. Um, Listen, of... the the pod doesn't have a ton of funding. We have to pick and choose. <laughs> That's true. That's true. You we know, are. Uh, if... We're definitely in the red. I'll say that much. <laughs> we're in the red. <laughs> if we were picking these fights uh, at a better clip, maybe that wouldn't be the case. Maybe <laughs> we would bring point. you. Maybe we'd be bringing you uh, more episodes, but Mm -hmm. we're not missing this card. And I think that that's the most important thing. Absolutely. It'll be a great card tonight. And as usual, we'll give you a great card tomorrow night. By the time you're listening to this, it'll be a great card tonight. Um, (laughs) We're going to give you, as usual, the first the five fights on the main card. Sorry, I'm a little rusty. It's been it's been a couple weeks, but um, that's all right. Work it out. We'll warm up as we currently stand. The last picks we did was on UFC 251, actually, the Usman Masvidal card. 250, 261. 261. <laughs> yeah, hopefully not 251. That would have been a long time ago. Yikes. Um, and it still would have been right with the Usman Masvidal, so that's funny. Uh, I think that was their first fight was 251. But That's crazy. I, I digress. 10 pay-per-views uh, ago. I think so. I could be wrong. But that's irrelevant. As the, the standings currently sit, Rafa has surpassed me for first place at Woo! 22, 23, and 1. Uh, I'm right behind you at 21, 24, and 1, so you have a one-fight advantage on me uh, as we come into these ultra-tight flip-of-a-coin fights for UFC 262 tomorrow night. So let's get Listen, right it's into It's kind of like the Yankees. Um, it's, we're still early in the season, I would say. Okay, still early in the season. We're in May. And uh, let's finish strong. Let's have a good second half of the year. Yeah, we're almost at the halfway point. Um, but, you know, there's still plenty of opportunity. There'll be plenty of fights for us to come back on. Hopefully, you know, we just want to get over 500 and then we'll start competing with each other. I think we can root for each other to just get past the 500 line. So for the credibility right. of the podcast, and then I'll take you out. And then we're really going to, yeah, we're going <laughs> to go at it. And, we, you know, we'll spice things up a little bit as we go. But without further ado, let's dive into the main card. 
the first fight on the pay-per-view, uh, one of the fights I'm looking the most forward to, I would say. <laughs> In the featherweight division, you have number nine, Shane Burgos, sitting right now at minus 140, going up against number 13-ranked Edson Barbosa at plus 120. As usual, these fight odds are brought to you by the ESPN app. This is a Friday night, so they are subject to change. But Rafa, kick us off with this featherweight tilt. First of all, how these guys make 145 when you see them step on the scale for uh, the ceremonial weigh-ins today, they're two two of the biggest featherweights in the division. I mean, absolutely. They're both absolutely stacked. And this is a hell of a matchup. Um, Edson Barboza, longtime UFC veteran, uh, you know, sort of in the Charles Oliveira mode that we've seen him you know, start off strong, hit a bit of a rough patch, and and now um, really starting to come into form, especially with this move down to 145. He looks huge, and that power is really, really translating here at 145. I think the key to this fight is Shane Burgos is a bit of a, you know, this is a, a striker's matchup. Um, one, one fighter, Edson Barbosa, very technical traditional Muay Thai, Brazilian, um, you know, sort of fighter, vicious leg kicks, straight punches. There's no, um, you know, wobble on, on any of the, any of the things that he throws. Shane Burgos is a, you know, he has more of that wild man factor. Um, I think he likes to get into not precision point fighting uh, matchups. His fight with Josh Emmett was a clear, you know, fight of the year contender. Mm -hmm. Uh, He likes things to get messy and he likes to get into these brawls, which is not what Edson Barbosa does not like to do. Typically, he does not do well against fighters that crowd him and get in his face. Really, Edson is at his strongest not when uh, things get messy, when things are sort of the technical point fighting where he can pick someone someone apart from distance. I don't think Burgos is going to let that happen to him. I think, you know, as the kicks start flying into his calves, Burgos is going to collapse the pocket as quickly as he can, get in Edson's face and try to make this, you know, a messy fight. And that's where we've seen Edson, you know, not show the the full breadth of his capabilities and not show everything that he brings to the table. Um, I think this is a, you know, a tougher matchup for Edson because the person in front of him is, is not as is a guy who's not afraid to get hit and he's been hit hard by some of the hardest hitters in this division. So it's going to be a great fight. I'm definitely an Edson Barbosa fan. I just think stylistically Burgos brings a lot to the table that frustrates Edson typically in, in these kind of matchups. I think he's just going to get in his face. And I think this is going to get a little wild. And if you're telling me that we're going to see 15 minutes of, of uh, wild fighting, I'm going to prefer Shane Burgos in this matchup. Um, I don't see either fighter getting finished. They're just two, two tough guys, but, um, I'm taking Burgos in this one. Interesting. Um, yeah, you mentioned it. Obviously Shane Burgos does get, uh, he like, you know, he likes to make the fight ugly. He likes to get right in your face and just throw bombs at you. And, uh, honestly though, it's nothing that Edson Barbosa has not seen. Obviously coming down from the lightweight division, Barbosa has fought, a who's who of UFC killers in, at, at the lightweight division. He fought Tony Ferguson. He fought Khabib. He fought Kevin Lee, Justin Gaethje, Paul Felder, Anthony Pettis. I mean, that's a murderer's row on his record sheet there. Uh, unfortunately, he did lose to all of those guys except Anthony Pettis. 
Uh, he's, he got one back against he, – he beat Paul Felder for the first time then lost his second fight. Um, so he definitely has a lot more experience than Shane Burgos does. Uh, he's been around a lot longer. Um, and since Barbosa has come down to featherweight, he has seemed to be pack a little bit more of a punch uh, and being able to knock some guys down. He hasn't finished anyone in his two fights that, he, that he's fought at featherweight. He, uh, he lost a split decision to Dan Ige that, honestly, I thought he won that fight in his featherweight debut. Uh, and then he got a, a unanimous decision against uh, Marquan Armikani, if I'm saying that correctly. Yes, Marquan Armikani, Ar- who Khani. is a in MMA math. Both of these men have have taken on Marquan. Uh, one of them has a finish. One of them has a decision win. Who do you think the finisher was? I know it's Shane Bar Shane Borgos because I'm looking at Edison Barbosa's Wikipedia page. <laughs> um, I. I, you know, I think that's telling you something. So it's the I tough hate part. MMA math, but yeah, I do, no, no. you know. MMA math does not really hold up. But I get the point. I get, I get your point. Obviously, Burgos is more of a, a threat to knock somebody out. Uh, Barbosa, while he does have that impressive resume that I just listed out, uh, a lot of those wins uh, did come via decision. But like I said, moving down to featherweight, I think his power trans- carries over a little bit more so than uh, it would have against those previous lightweights I mentioned. However, to your point, uh, I don't think that Barbosa is very, as comfortable um, as some other fighters we've seen when fights do get messy and do start to turn into that uh, you know, bar fight where Burgos is just throwing hands, throwing reckless combinations, and really not afraid to get hit in the face, like you said. So uh, this is a tough one. Um, I do think I'm going to have to go with you here. I'm going to take Burgos as well. Uh, I think that that style is something that will really give Barbosa – uh, some trouble because he's, you know, at his best when, you know, almost like a point fighter, very technical, very technical, very in and out, you know, using his, uh, his kickboxing, but I think things are going to get a little bit too reckless for him to handle. So give me Shane Burgos as well. Yeah. And I think, you know, in terms of similar on that three fight skid that Edson had, you know, Felder, Ige, um, and Justin Gaethje, those guys are, you know, in your face sort of fighters bring the pressure. So if you can collapse the pocket on him, he does struggle. And the guy that he did well against Amri Khani in his most recent fight is a, you know, a fighter that sticks on the outside does is not necessarily crowding you. Um, I just think, you know, again, stylistically, this is a tough one for Edson. Um, you know, I expect to see a good performance from Shane in his return. It's been a while since we've seen him. Yeah. Um, he is coming off of an injury, so, mm-hmm. uh, so it's going to be fun to see him back in the octagon. So I think the way the path to victory for Edson would be you, you got to land a couple early counters on Burgos and let him feel that power because, like we said, Edson does have you know powerful hands in the fur featherweight division coming down from lightweight. Um, if if he's able to you know get Burgos thinking a little bit about rushing in every time and and if he clips him a couple times, maybe he's able to slow the fight down to a pace that he's more comfortable with. Uh, but Burgos is the kind of guy who's just going to rush you and take control of the octagon, hunting for that knockout. So it's going to be tough, should be competitive, but I'm going to have to give a slight edge to Burgos. Yeah, uh, we're, we're keep talking about this fight, but <laughs> bringing up some more points. It's um, a great fight. Know, <laughs> yeah, and I think it, it also, you know, we kind of know what we're going to see because Burgos can't possibly stay on the outside because he's going to have his legs chewed up. Like he needs to get into Edson's face, right? And mm-hmm. and Edson, you know, unless like to your point, if 
Edson's going to turn the tide of this fight. It's going to be in the tie clinch, and maybe he lands some nasty stuff to the body, mm -hmm. some knees to the body. That might, you know, slow Burgos down a bit. But, you know, I, we always say styles make fights. And, again, sort of like the main event that we're going to see, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, I kind of think these guys are just going to meet in the middle here, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to shake itself out. Yeah, which leads to great entertainment for the fans, which is always good. Uh, all right, so we're both on Burgos there. We'll move on now to the women's flyweight division. Uh, you have number two, Caitlin Shikagian, at a minus 135, going up against number seven, Vivienne Araujo. Everyone's saying Araujo, isn't it? Araujo? Araujo? I thought that until I heard Joe Rogan at the ceremonial weigh-ins today. And then yeah, it wasn't even Joe. It was multiple people were saying Araujo. Araujo. So. Oh, maybe that's what she prefers. But either way, Vivian. I like a rock roll better. Vivian at a plus 115. I'll start this off. Let me just say, get this out of the way here. I, I, people probably know this. Caitlin Shikagian, I mean, is that the worst nickname in MMA history? You know what, what her it? nickname is? Blanken. Blonde Fighter. Blonde Fighter. That's it. What are we doing? God. What that's embarrassing. Is it a joke? Like, is she being funny? It's it's got to be that she's being funny because I don't know how you seriously you know UFC asks you what what's the nickname we're gonna put up here on your fighter page. UFC and shouldn't even let her do fighter. that. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's I mean, no be disrespect to the fighter herself, but that name's gotta go. I'm trying to think of something that rhymes with Chukagian, and that's that's escaping me right now. The Choo Choo Train. Ah, <laughs> that's also go. terrible. No, don't listen to me on that one. That's a bad one. Also. Every time that a UFC fighter comes to the table and their nickname is terrible, they're gonna point them in your direction. And, uh, <laughs> we'll clean that right up for you. Don't worry. But uh, imagine Bruce Buffer in the octagon. <laughs> the Choo Choo Train, <laughs> Choo Kagan. When it in his voice, it probably wouldn't sound too bad. It would sound amazing. <laughs> <laughs> better than Blonde Fighter. Okay. Uh, so, so this Hold fight, on, Tyler, wait at bat. Yeah, we need to wait. lock in. Let me wait for that one. Uh, aside here, why are they wearing camo? Why are the Yankees wearing camo hats? I don't know. Couldn't What's tell today? you. May fourteenth. All right. I don't know, but Miguel and Duhar is zero for fourteen. So the hype that we have. I know, them, dude. That's really, so disappointing. It's really. That was so disappointing. Tough out there. All right, I digress. Back to positivity with this great matchup here. Uh, this is um, a fight that's on the card, and you know what? Caitlin's a very well-rounded fighter. You know, she's comfortable in yeah. every every in a lot of different positions where the fight can go. But I don't think that she really excels in anything specifically. Um, and I think that yeah. that's that's going to be where I give the edge to a Ru. A Ru this is where I'm going to give the edge to Arujo here. Call her Viviani. Viviani. Go this, with is, Viviani. this is where I'm going to give the edge to Viviani here because I think she is more dangerous on the ground than in the submission game. Uh, I think she's got about like eight or ten submissions in her career. Um, so if the fight does get to the ground, I expect there to be a, a, a pretty clear advantage, and, uh, and you'll be able to see that difference a little bit. Um, but Caitlin's tough. Like, you know, I mentioned point fighting with Edson Barbosa. Like, she really does know what she has to do to get wins more often than not. Uh, she had a bit of a rough patch against Shevchenko and Andrade back to back fights. But, you know what? Those are two killers right there. So I'm not very surprised. And then she got her win back. Uh, she got a win back recently. I forget who she fought against, but uh, she did look pretty good. So 
this is a big test for Viviani. Obviously, her uh, not the highest ranked opponent of her career, but uh, I think she'll yeah. be able to get it done because I do I do think that this fight will go to the ground and she'll be able to lock in a submission. Tough. I mean, you know, again, we have a another one of these fights where it's veteran veteran versus prospect, and there's a significant step up in competition here. I think, you know, uh, I'm not crazy impressed by um, Viviani's last two fights over Montana De La Rosa and uh, I think it was Roxanne Modafferi. Obviously, Roxanne, super tough girl, but if you have the skills, you can take her out. And then, you know, Montana De La Rosa, great grappler and and you know big for the division but she um has some weaknesses in her game and you know we saw that in her last fight where she got you know pretty brutalized ended up taking the win but got pretty brutalized you know you mentioned the submission which i really think is viviani's path to victory here because caitlin is you know she's very very long on the feet and she's going to be able to um you know pick pick her apart and and sort of weather the storm there but I don't think I think there's going to be a pretty discernible size difference here, and I think sure. it's going to be tough for Viviani to to wrap up Caitlin Chukagian. Caitlin, she's a super tough girl. I mean, you know that that loss that we remember, the significant loss was against Andrade, where Andrade just hit, hits like a truck. And I don't think Viviani has that kind of power. Um, that was a weird, Viviani's weird finish. You don't see yeah, those body shots. Body shots. Your body just like shuts that. down. Um, I think. You know, what um, Viviani's coach on the Embedded said, that Caitlin's a really smart fighter, that if you see the way that she acts towards the end of rounds, she tends to steal rounds because, you know, whether she'll get the takedown or whether she'll apply the pressure towards the end of rounds, it sticks in the judge's mind. She's a very smart fighter. And I think that's such an interesting way to sort of look at, at you know, being a veteran in, in the UFC where they do – you know, you know how to sort of make look good in the judge's eyes. Um, I think this is just too big of a step up for Viviani. I'm going to go Caitlin um, in this matchup. So our first difference of the uh, of the night. Look at your You're face. You're sucker. so excited. You're a sucker for the vets, dude. You are a sucker uh, for the vets. I've seen it. <laughs> You've seen it, it happen too many times. Yeah, it's too bad we're not picking the Jacare fight. Otherwise, I know where you'd be leaning there. <laughs> That is the uh, feature prelim of the night. But, okay. So there we have it. We have our first difference. Rafa going Shikagian. I will be taking Arujo. Uh, Araujo. How many times can you butcher a name in one episode? That's what I'm shooting for right now. Shooting for the record. Uh, There you have it. Okay. Moving right along here. Uh, This I I feel like this was a late addition to the card, if I'm not mistaken. Or... It was a reshuffling because of the uh, Hermanson and Shabazian fell right. off of the card. So uh, in the bantamweight division, well, first of all, these are two flyweights uh, in the rankings wise. They're fighting at bantamweight. Um, at the flyweight division, Matt Schnell is ranked number eight, and he's at coming yep. at minus one sixty on the betting line. Um, Rogerio 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 Bontorin. Bontorin. Rogerio Buenterin is coming in at uh, plus 135, and he is ranked ninth in flyweight. Um, so interesting that this is a bantamweight fight. And on top of that, Bontarin did miss weight at bantamweight. He's weighing in at 137. Two pounds, yeah. Um, now, or one pound. I'm going to let you start here, but I know originally this fight was scheduled to be Matt Schnell versus Alex Perez. I would assume that would have been at flyweight. So maybe I think they – maybe Bontarin filled in late, and that's why you know the weight cut – 
he couldn't get to 125. I'm, I'm not sure, but uh, likely if you um, can take it away. Yeah. Matt Schnell coming off of a split decision win against Tyson Nam, which I thought he was the clear winner in that in that fight. Um, you know, Bontarine coming off of a pretty devastating knockout loss to Kai Car of France. Oh, He's yeah. on a two-fight skid right now. Um, this is a striker versus grappler matchup. Matt Schnell definitely has some grappling chops. He's got several wins by submission, but that's really Bontarine's uh, bread and butter, and he's going to try to put it on the floor. Bontarine gave Kaikar France, who you know I think everyone feels really highly about, he gave him some significant issues before getting getting caught there. Uh, Matt Schnell landed against Tyson Nam a lot, and and wasn't able to you know put his lights out and i don't know that he has the same fight ending power that um you know uh kai car france does <sighs> this is tough this is real tough this is a tough one i to do play. think schnell is gonna you know pick him apart on the floor uh sorry on the feet um shoot man this is a last minute one. I was still this is a game time decision one. Um I'm going to I'm going to go with Bontarin on the floor. He's going to be the bigger man, the bigger fighter. Um very clear path to victory for him whereas Schnell needs to keep this on the feet. Um I'm going to go Bontarin. Okay, so it's interesting. Uh you mentioned the uh Kai Kara France fight for Bontarin and I agree with you. I thought that uh I think we I think we picked Kai I think I picked France for that one and in, in the first round no it only went one round but it looked like France was in trouble and then he kind of like pulled it together for a surprise knockout towards the end of the round um so I don't you know it's interesting to, to note that uh he started out very well in that fight and one thing I'll say about Schnell um I said I'm, I don't know too much about both of these guys like you mentioned it was uh, this is a replacement fight on the main card for what was supposed to be Hermanson and Shabazian um, but just going off of what I've seen in the small sample sizes and what I'm looking at in my research, um, Matt Chanel does have eight submission wins in his career. So I know that Bontarin is probably more credentialed on the ground, uh, but I don't know if the gap is as big as uh, you might think. However, I'm sure how well you mentioned that's that's what you mentioned was the key to victory. So I'm just coming just saying, move, bro. If you're looking at the notes it's here, real, you know, it's, 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 a real, it's, 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 it's the Wikipedia page. Is telling I did a mention story. that Schnell has some submissions on his resume. Number one, number two, I think both these guys you're are really, good it on sounds the like you're really trying to get rear naked choked right now. <laughs> Can you imagine if you just saw me come into frame? <laughs> just come from behind. <laughs> um, so I, I, I feel like uh, both of these guys are pretty comfortable on the ground, but um, Schnell does have the advantage on the feet, as you did mention. So for those reasons, I'm going to take Matt Schnell here uh, because mm. I do think um, he's going to be more trouble, comfortable. Man. He'll be he'll be comfortable at different areas. And Bontarin sounds like he took this fight on a little short notice, uh, having some issues with the weight cut. And I think that that might uh, burn out his gas tank a little bit as the fight goes on. So I'm going to go Matt Schnell here, keeping the namesake. I got to back up my boy. Give me Matt. Oh, yeah. I always get nervous when we start to deviate from the picks like early on in the card um it just feels like we always get to the point where someone has a really good night yeah. and someone has a horrible night yeah. which i'm trying to keep pace you know i kind of want to keep pace until a certain point in the year maybe october november and then really start pulling away in december and, and finish 
real strong, but I, you know, I don't want to get lopsided as the, as the summer comes around, it's going to be tough to rebound from a lot of it's pressure. Difficult. No, you're right. In the last card we picked that, uh, you know, we, we had a lot of differences. I was one and four, you went three and two. So shaping up for another night like that for one of us, perhaps you need it. <laughs> I'm coming for it. That's why I'm just, I'm just, I'm letting you go first. I'm just going to pick against you. You go, you go, I'm going to go first on the co-main. You'll take the main event one. And I, just, I might just have to sway you. I think we're going to fall in line on these next two fights, by the way. You think so? I think so. If I know you. Mm, Okay, let's get to it. Without further ado, the co-main event uh, in the lightweight division. You have number five, Tony Ferguson at plus 145, an underdog. I would like to know the last time he was an underdog in a fight. First Uh, time in, in like... 12 fights. Yeah, at least. And then uh, going up against number nine, Benil Dariush at minus Benny. 170. Benny. These guys, I mean, you see the press conference, you see the weigh-ins. These guys could not be more polar opposite people. Okay? Yeah. Dariush is Tony this, stole the fucking show, huh? That was entertaining, and that's one of my points. I'll get to it right now. <laughs> the press conference really got me thinking that Tony is trying to murder somebody tomorrow night. Uh, I don't know if, you know, he's in his own head. Maybe he's amping himself up a little too much. Maybe it'll come back to bite him. But he looks like he is ready to to kill somebody. Uh, he he's seems- such a strange dude where, like, you know, sometimes he'll start going off and you're like, oh, Tony, too much. And then yeah. he whips out, like, the Dana White privilege line and you're like, Tony, I need more. Yeah. <laughs> like, what, yeah. what else you got? Some Dana of the was- things – dead at that shit yeah, dana, dana was cracking up i honestly didn't connect the dots right away um <laughs> I, I didn't realize but uh i was that's like your dana white privilege yeah but no so that's a, that you're right you're right about that tony sometimes he'll say something where you're like what the fuck is this guy talking about and then you'll be yeah, like, like when talk he goes that to, shit tony yeah <laughs> when he goes to um like no one wants to fight me the only one that wants to fight me is charles Oliveira. meanwhile the guy at the end of the other table is signed up to fight you like tomorrow what are you talking <laughs> yeah. about and he saw Darius's face like what yeah no one wants to take these fights like how are you sitting here fighting then if that's the yeah. case so I, he's 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 able to psych himself up i think um and to be honest with you um he does seem like extremely motivated like he seems like he yeah. knows you know that he needed to be in a better place um, training wise. It looks like, you know, he surrounded himself with different people, maybe some more structure in the training sessions. It's, it sounded like from what he had, he had said. Uh, and he mentioned a lot of different names that he reached out to for like assistance or, or guidance. He mentioned, he called Brock Lesnar, you know, for example, from back in the ultimate fighter days. Um, yeah. So I think that I think the more meaningful coaches he called out was Greg Nelson um, I was blanking on the rest of the his, names because I, I just yeah used to be his old coach and he's a, f- a formidable, yeah. formidable guy. So um, to that note, you know, touching on Tony Ferguson here, moving over to Benny. Uh, I mean, this guy's dangerous. This guy's very dangerous too. He's won six straight fights. Uh, he's super entertaining. He's he's won fight of the night or performance bonus in four out of his last five fights. Um, so he definitely comes and you know he's ready to scrap. And that's exactly the kind of fight that, you know, you would expect from Tony Ferguson as well. So I think that this is going to be a very entertaining fight. Um, this is Darius's toughest test, though, right? You know, he's never faced a top five opponent. He's just coming off a win against Diego Fajeda, um, which was a pretty close fight. I think he pulled away, you know, kind of at the end, but it was a competitive fight. 
and I don't know if you expected this from me here, but I'm going to lean on uh, Tony Ferguson, and I think that I'm going to pick him to win this one. Uh, because and I, and I wasn't sure, I wasn't sure how to feel about this uh, until I saw the press conference and seeing his attitude and, and kind of where his head was at. I think he knows his back's against the wall, and I think that he's going to come out with some new with some new stuff, some unorthodox stuff that we're used to, um, but feel more confident in doing it. And I don't know if Dariush is going to have answers for such an unorthodox style of a fight. Uh, so give me Tony Ferguson by decision. Yeah, it's very tough to do two things. One, to trust those press conferences and very difficult to, you know, tell the motivation from the fights. And it's not like Dariush is any less motivated, but yeah, Tony does seem to have gone a little bit more back to the basics um, and, uh, you know, take a sort of different approach to his training. Here's the, here's the thing. Breaking down, you know, the style of this fight and what we expect to see in the octagon, because I think that's that is, you know, ultimately how we can decide the winner of this fight. Mm-hmm. Benny is not just engaging on the feet, not as tech uh, technical, not as crisp of a striker that could tear apart Tony the way that he did. He's not Oliveira on the ground, not as sleek and you know able to take advantage. And I mean, Charles got him in two or three submissions that would have ended other fights, right? And, and you know, so he's not Tony's last two opponents, but he's still a very, 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 very tough kid. How I expect this fight to play out, I think Tony is better on the feet than Benny is. I think he just brings more to the table. And I think, um, you know, I don't know that he hits harder than Dariush, but I think he can make a lot of contact with Dariush. And we know what happens. Dariush gets in these wild, wild fights. And, you know, I've mentioned this for another fight before, and I, I, I don't remember the exact one. But I think, you know, the way that Tony makes his opponents look when, when it is a good matchup for him, um, slicing them up, slicing and dicing them up, that, that means a lot in the judge's eyes. And if Dariush stands there in front of Tony the way he has in front of other fighters and takes those big shots and takes those elbows and those knees, he's not going to be looking good. He's going to be cut up. This fight's going to get a little slippery. And if that's the case, then the grappling is not going to be as effective. And that's ultimately what I think is the difference maker in this fight. I think Tony is going to, you know, be able to show some improvements on the feet than we've seen in his last couple fights and, and touch up Dariush a little bit. And Dariush is going to want to take this to the ground. Now it's going to be, does he have the chops to dominate Tony on the ground? Tony's a slippery guy. He's not going to be able to hold him and get him in certain positions. And we know how tough Tony is to submit. And how good his cardio is. And how good his cardio is. Do you know how hard it is to pick against, uh, to pick a guy to win that's lost eight straight rounds? Like, this is real tough. I, yeah, I mean, I, I don't feel too great about it, but I mean, this is a guy who was just on a 12-fight win streak, and you look at the losses he had in Gaethje and Oliveira, um, those aren't, I mean, those, the last two guys who fought for the title. So I think Dariush is not at that level yet. He'd have to get through Ferguson to prove that. So I think that, you know, this is a clear step down in the competition that Ferguson is used to fighting uh, of his last x amount of fights you know the the two losses and then you know some of the guys he's beaten um i, I don't know if dariush is at that true level of elite lightweight that ferguson has been in the ring in the octagon against 
I came here, came in here feeling real confident in this pick, and now you got me all fucked up. Well, because you didn't think I was taking Ferguson. No. And now that I am, now that I'm with you, with Ferguson, now you're not comfortable. It's not that we thought I would have reassured because, you with anything. No, it's not that because <laughs> you went with Tony. It's it's because I considered the possibility that Tony could win the fight, and then I started talking myself through how he can do it. And you know. <sighs> How do you pick someone that lost the last eight rounds? This is what I got to decide for myself. It's a good matchup for Tony, but uh, I'm going to go Dariush. I'm going to say Dariush wow. gets it done. The last second change. No, Mid- I changed my mind. Tony. Oh, my goodness. Tony. What a flip-flopper this guy is, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Nope, just found it. Found the inspiration. Okay. I'm like, Jerry Prohoshka came to my antenna. <laughs> right. Hit me good. Whatever it takes. We're both, uh, we're both on Tony Ferguson for the rebound. Somebody in the press conference, somebody asked Dana if the winner of this fight is a number one contender fight. I mean, come on. Come on. Why would you even ask uh, that? Clearly missed the UFC schedule for the rest of the year because there's another pretty big fight coming up. Yeah. I mean, and Ferguson's going to lose two in a row and beat Dariush and get a title shot. Come on. I don't think so. Clown question, bro. <laughs> Man, Let's it's so hard to pick Tony. I do not feel good right now. Hey, that uh, at an underdog. And it was so easy to pick Tony for so long, and now it's like, <laughs> yep. We didn't have the podcast for uh, Ferguson, Gaethje. Did we? No. No, I that was the did. first. That was the first pay per view that I ever watched. No, we had it for Gaethje Khabib. Yeah. No, Tony. Tony. Gaethje was the first pay-per-view that I watched. And um, it's funny. He's 37 years old, too. It's funny because I, like, I hadn't watched UFC prior to that that moment. So the only two fights I've seen of Tony Ferguson, he looks like he fucking sucks. Right? Like, I have no knowledge of his history on that 12-fight win streak. If you didn't tell <clears> me anything <throat> about that and I saw this guy fight twice, I'd be like, who the hell is this guy getting his ass kicked on the feet and then getting thrown around the octagon for three rounds against Oliveira. Uh, but I guess we're both just leaning on the history here. Tony's also meant, talked a lot about improving his defense. When does you that know, plan it, on getting initiated? <clears throat> I'm, gonna, I'm trying to talk you out of it again right now. Fuck. <laughs> Let's move on before you make any bad decisions. Let's get to the main event I here. Made, I already made that bad decision. <laughs> On to the main event. Man, what a fight this is. I cannot wait for tomorrow to kick off and just see these two guys get in there finally after all this time. Uh, you have the most hyped I am for a UFC fight this year, 100%. And that's, I'm a huge Connor fan. And, you know, Connor Dustin 2 was massive. But this, like, stylistically, this is mm-hmm. what a matchup. And it's not helping that those fucking stare downs have been. Ooh, Chandler is intense. an intense guy. So let's get let me let me let me go through the uh particulars here. In the lightweight division for the vacant lightweight championship, you have number three ranked Charles Oliveira at minus 135 going up against Iron Michael Chandler, number fourth in the rankings, number four in the rankings at a slight plus one fifteen. Uh you're gonna start us off here, so carry on with the press conferences and then let me know your thoughts. <sighs> <clears throat> Charles Oliveira been in the UFC since he was 20 years old in you know at 145 skinny kid just submitting people left and right incredible jujitsu 
his frame fills out a little bit. He makes a move to 155 and he is on, you know, that uh, dyeing his hair blonde, uh, you know, platinum blonde and getting in there doing what he did against Tony was like he turned on God mode. Like he, <laughs> at the height of his powers, I feel like he's virtually unbeatable. Um, most submission wins in UFC history. His Muay Thai is brutal. I mean, not the most powerful guy in the world, but it sucks to fight him. And you you want to talk about the stare downs and the press conferences. And, you know, you were talking about how Tony looks motivated. You know, Chandler, uh, sorry, Oliveira kind of sunned him a little bit in the first, after the press conference, uh, the media day. He like, you know, gave him a handshake, slapped him on the shoulder and then, you know, looked, looked him down, like got real in his fucking, in his face, like clearly looking down on him, super intense, jaw locked. I mean, he looks like a fucking killer. And then with today that, he comes sunglasses out. sunglasses on and the, the smirk and his pointy chin. He looks like a, he looks like a super villain. He looks like some, he knows something that we don't know. <clears throat> That's he what he looks best. like. Supremely he, confident. He, he and has, like I said, his confidence. He's at the height of his powers right now. And, um, you know, even at the weigh-in today when Chandler got much more in his face, put nose on nose, clenching his jaw and talking shit to him, Charles, like, really stood his ground. And, I, you know, I feel watching that countdown too, he really, really feels like this is his time. And, um, you know, I, I tend to agree with him, but let's break out. Let's break down the stylistic matchup here. Break it down. Michael Chandler is a supreme athlete, supreme athlete, a lot of spring, a lot of bounce, a lot of power, uh, D1 champion at Missouri, um, you know, puts people's lights out with that right hand, doesn't do anything too flashy over the top, but really fundamentally sound. And I think the key to his game is his ability to close distance incredibly quickly and with a lot, a lot of power. Hooker made a, a, a major mistake that I don't think we're going to see Charles make. Hooker backed up towards the fence against Chandler while Chandler was coming at him like a, like a dog and a lion, right? You're just sort of accepting that, you know, Chandler is now taking the center of the octagon and he's eventually going to find, he's too good, too athletic, too powerful to not find the opening. If you're going to let him close the distance and you're going to put your back on the cage, he's going to put his fists on you. Charles Oliveira is not going to do that. He's not going to hang around on the outside. It's not what he did with Tony. He got right in Tony's face, put him on the floor. He got a little bit tagged up against Kevin Lee to start. And then something that I think is very crucial to this matchup, Kevin went for the takedown. Fine with Charles. <laughs> you want to come into this vice grip? You can come yeah, into this vice grip. Terrible mistake by Kevin Lee on that one. His length is incredible. His jujitsu, his creativity, his knowledge of positioning and so forth. Why would you ever want to take this man to the floor, right? Why would you ever want to? And the reason that he can stand in the middle of the octagon with Michael Chandler, he's not worried about getting taken down. That's okay for him. You know, like he's not worried about the level change. He's not whatever. If you want to come play on that, in that realm, we can play in that realm. I do think that these guys come out and I do think that they meet in the middle. And I think the difference here is going to be one as good as, as Oliveira is on the ground. Michael Chandler is also very smart when it comes to positioning and top game and pressure. 
And I think he's going to be pretty hard to catch in a submission. As good as Charles Oliveira is, I have a hard time seeing the quit in Chandler. The other thing is, in tw- if you're telling me this is a 25-minute fight and, you know, uh, Chandler's going to be able to survive. I don't think Charles has the knockout ability to put Chandler out, and I don't, I don't know if he ha- he's able to submit him if Chandler is submittable at this point in his career. If you're telling me that in 25 minutes Chandler's not going to get that power right hand through at some point in time, I don't, I find that hard to believe. As good as Charles Oliveira is, it's not going 25 minutes. I'd tell you that right now. I'd be shocked. I don't think it's going to go 25 minutes either. I'm going to make my pick off of very unsound decision-making. I'm going to go off of what I saw in the, in the weigh-in stare down today. Chandler looks a little too amped up. He is, but that's who it's what he does. Oliveira looks uh, very calm. And I think he is in God mode height of his powers. The UFC wants nothing more than Michael Chandler to win this fight. They don't always get what they want. Charles Oliveira. Congratulations, you're and new the lightweight champion. It's funny, talk about how easily swayed we can be. We're talking about ceremonial weigh-ins and we're talking about press conferences as what we're basing our picks off of. Uh, it could be genius. We could be we could have an eye for a sixth sense to be able to sniff this stuff out, or we could just be tricking ourselves into. Uh, oh shit! Now I want to go Chandler. <laughs> so who knows? We'll find out. But it is you know it's nice to take a look at certain things, try to pick up some clues uh, uh, during these leading up to fight week. Um, you made a lot of good points. First of all, about, like you mentioned, the 25-minute fight. I do not think this is going to go 25 minutes. I don't think it'll even go past three rounds, to be honest with you. Um, what I'm going to say here, I know I'm going to break down each of these guys' credentials because let's call it what it is. This isn't the lightweight title fight that most of us expected to see or really, you know, on a meritocracy. It's not the two guys that you would think would be in there. I believe both of these guys truly deserve to be in a lightweight title fight. They, they do. They do in a vacuum. Are, they do deserve to be there. But when you look at the lightweight division, I think there are other names in a perfect world that would be uh, uh, first in line before them. Obviously, Dustin Poirier. Are but, you a Dustin Poirier fan? Yes, I'm a big Dustin oh, Poirier okay. fan. I didn't know. And I know, I know that it was his decision. I'm not blaming the UFC or anybody for that. But, you know, I'm just saying, just pointing that out. It is what it is. I'll, I'll move on. But – and the reason I bring that up is because before this fight was made, when there were rumors about uh, Poirier versus you know Gaethje for the title, or Poirier versus Chandler, and, Ch- and Poirier kind of pushed that down, uh, Oliveira was you know holding out for the title shot, kind of. You know, he made it clear on Twitter that he he believed he was next in line, and I'll stick to my convictions. But what I said during that time, the eight fight win streak that Charles Oliveira is on is great, and it you know puts you in the top five. Uh, Aside from the Tony Ferguson fight, who has he really beaten that holds a lot of weight in the lightweight division? Um, you look at some of the guys on that resume, um, and again, Tony Ferguson remains to be seen what state he is in or was in in that fight against Oliveira. Um, so, you, you know, his win streak is coming off of a lot of guys who are lower in the rankings, who aren't really contenders or you know notable names, and then maybe the ghost of Tony Ferguson. But that's just on the resume. You look at his talent in the octagon and it's clear that he can hang with anyone in the top five because of what you mentioned of how you know smart he is on the ground and how he's able to get himself into any position that he wants to get himself into. 
and he has knocked people out before. His, his power has come a long way since he first entered the UFC. So I don't want to make that point to disparage Charles Oliveira, but I think it is worth mentioning that aside from Tony Ferguson, he has not been in there with any true elite lightweights. Do you think that that's fair? I understand the point that you're making. I understand the point that you're making, but I also think... We talk a lot about resumes on this show. I mean, you have to... By the way, I I just replayed the fight in my head. I'm switching my pick to Chandler. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I just replayed it in my head because now I'm, I'm seeing... Here's here's why I'm making the switch and pick. And don't say, oh my goodness. I, I get the full allotted time to be in able that, to make my in pick. In that, that, that moment. You lock it in at the, the, the when the my, show. I'm giving that my moment, analysis I, and you just unceremoniously say you're changing your pick. First of all, you're such a great storyteller that I started to visualize that you this, me out this fight play out. Watching the fight in Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. You said something that I agree with, that the fight's not going to go 25 minutes. I just played it out of my head because you know what? We have seen Oliveira, and I know he's different now. We have seen him quit in the octagon before. And given Chandler that Chandler is this, on that a lot. Yeah, given that Chandler is this superior athlete and you know he's going to find the time to close the distance and land on Charles – I think we may see Charles stutter. I'm switching to Chandler, but also back to your point about Charles Oliveira's win streak. I mean, Kevin Lee and Tony Ferguson, the reason why you don't say it's enough is because of how deep this this division is um, and how many big names th- this division has on the, the resume. And I think the only other person that you is deserving of this fight, if Dustin is not going into it, would have been Gaethje. But I think the thinking there is that you don't book Gaethje in the title fight off of a loss. No, fine. I, again, you know, I'm glad that these two are deserving of the of the title shot. All I'm pointing out is that we, like I said, we talk a lot about resumes on the show and who has he fought and who has he beat, who has he lost to. There's not many names that jump out to you on this win streak. Kevin Lee, if you want to say that, but I mean, really, what is Kevin Lee when you look go look at his own resume? So. Again, it's yeah. just worth noting. I think that this is, you know, the point is that this might be Oliveira's biggest test to date. And again, you know, you're talking about Michael Chandler, who did, he's had one fight in the UFC, uh, but then over in Bellator, he did, you know, he's fought Eddie Alvarez, he fought Patricio Pitbull. Uh, you know, he's definitely, he was a champion. He's been through it with the, with the top competition uh, at lightweight. And he couldn't have asked for a better performance in that one fight that he had against Dan Hooker. So, Getting the resumes out of the way inside the octagon. On that, on that, on that resume, by the way, that you mentioned, that's not the greatest in the eight fight win streak. Part of that resume is the most submission victories in UFC history. Absolutely. I mean, the man is a finisher. You know, whether you want to put who's on the resume or not, absolutely, he's going out there and performing and doing his job night in, night out. A hundred percent. That is worth mentioning. Most submissions in UFC history is no joke. You know, I don't care who you're fighting against. Like, he is a problem if you go if he if he takes you to the ground. Uh, you know, world class jujitsu, hands down. But breaking down the fight inside the octagon, uh, Chandler, as he's shown, he's going to take the center of the octagon right away and and try to you know walk you down and just stalk you and, and hunt yep. for that for that shot. But he's also going to switch things up and keep you guessing. Because uh, he does have, he has the ability to take you down if he wants to. But again, you're not going to try to shoot very often, I would imagine, on Oliveira because that's what he wants you to do. Um, so I think I think Chandler is going to be looking to finish the fight with that right hand. And 
Can I toss a question your way? Yes. <clears throat> if if Chandler does start Charles a little bit, right, and hits him with the power, and Charles has to uh, change the pace of the fight and and you know take it to a different place. We saw how easily he was able to put Tony Ferguson on his back. Yeah. Do you think that Charles has the ability to, you know, whether it's lock him up in a tie clinch and get a trip and put Chandler on his back or whether it's a lever, level change? And, you know, do you see Charles, if he needs to get his jujitsu working, that it's going to be from his ability to put Chandler on the floor or rather, you know, Chandler going for the takedown and putting Charles on the floor. And, you know, obviously that would be favorable, but do you think Charles has the ability to put Michael Chandler down? That's a good question because, you know, as, as short as Chandler might look, you know, you look at the, the size difference, obviously Oliveira is a much taller, you know, longer guy. He's stocky and strong. Like can you see his thighs yeah. in the weigh in, like his legs are tree trunks. Michael Chandler. I, I have a very hard time seeing Chandler getting taken down. Me too. Yeah. He's got that low center of gravity and, and a wide base. And like, that's, you know, if, if, if Oliveira goes like to try to get around the hips, like he's not going to take him down in a clinch, you know, maybe he'll be able to trip him up and take him to the ground. I do think it's possible. Um, especially, you know, what I, I feel like if, uh, if Oliveira is in trouble is when he's going to try to rely on that, uh, on the jujitsu and try to get him to the ground. But man, I mean, Chandler is so strong and, and deceivingly like he's powerful. Yeah. Like he really packs a punch. So I don't think that I don't think that it's a good matchup for Oliveira, to be quite honest with you. You know, somebody who can neutralize his jujitsu or neutralize his takedowns and rock him if he gets the opportunity to. Like Chandler will rock him if he's if you know if Oliveira slips up. And I don't know if you're going to yeah, recover there's not, from that. There's not a person on earth that can get hit with what Chandler brings to the table power-wise. I mean, look at what he did to Dan Hooker. Hooker did five, well, five rounds no, with I, Dustin I hate, Poirier. I know, but I also I also hate that, that comparison because um, Hooker challenged Dustin a lot, whereas, you know, he really just let Chandler come at him, and he was on he was his back. He was his on his life. bike the whole time. Yeah, he was circling the octagon the entire time until yeah. he got hit. Yeah. That was so weird to see from Hooker. But uh, it, I think it, that that's a result. It would have been what... a different fight if he would have gotten in there and, and you know gotten in but Chandler. Chandler. I mean, but how much of that was debut, because of Chandler? Chandler was I watched chasing him like a breakdown. bulldog. And also setting up because he oh kept going God. with that, you know, left hand, right hand to the body and ducking down and not showing any combinations, not really showing, you know, something mm -hmm. coming behind the, the jab to the body. And then he throws that jab to the body and comes over with the monster left. So he was really setting up Dan and that was very, very smart yeah. striking out of Michael Chandler. Um, yeah. But anyway. So, no, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, Dan Hooker is uh dan hooker's uh what the word is how he performed in that fight i think says not, a lot yeah. I, I think it says a lot about what chandler is able to do in the in the octagon i think that he's able to to control people and control this the the pace of the fight and hunt down for that knockout punch and i do believe michael chandler is going to win this fight if it wasn't obvious already that that is going to be my pick and uh i expect an early yeah. finish and and again, you know, nothing against Charles the Oliveira. Hardcore fans are not going to be happy with this. I, I I just I don't. And I, I, love, I think it's a I bad matchup Charles. for Oliveira. I really do. 
Yeah, he's a bad matchup for all these guys. And it's it's his superior athleticism and the pop that he has. It's just so problematic. Mm-hmm. You know, like you can't expect to avoid that for in a 25 minute span. You can't run on him because it's just going to play into his his whatever. And he's mm-hmm. extremely difficult to put down. You know, and now I'm like, you know, I bet about, bet against this guy once. That's where I'm coming from too. I, I gonna let gonna let him burn me again, you know? Yeah, yeah. I want to be I want to be along for the ride. See you at the top. I'm, I'm gonna be there with Chandler. I don't want to be the guy saying that he wasn't gonna get it done. Yeah. <laughs> so Listen, we're both on Chandler. Incredible fight. Two amazing, amazing fighters. Charles Oliveira is a is a beast. But it's uh, gonna be fireworks yeah. from the opening bell. It's gonna be fast paced. It's gonna be like it might be a little wild, some takedowns, some punches. I think it's gonna be you're gonna have your eyes glued to the TV the entire fight. Michael Chandler walks out of there as the UFC champion. They are going to be extremely happy with that result. Holy I'm heck. telling you, that's what Dana wants. You know, Tony said the Dana White privilege. Um, it's not wrong. He's not wrong about that. Charles Oliveira is a great representative for the sport, but you're talking about an English-speaking, good-looking, you know, charismatic champion. I mean, Dana could have, you know, created a fighter on UFC <laughs> 4, and that's what he would have created for his Absolutely. lightweight champion. So. Absolutely. And a bit of a kiss-ass up to Dana, too. I mean, Dana loves oh, that. Oh, man. I'll never but say no. Pick up the phone. And Call me say up yes. there. Yeah. Steve at the top. <laughs> I do like him though. He has grown on me a lot. He seems like a oh good yeah, dude. for sure. He seems for like sure. a good dude. And uh, listen, if Chandler does get that win, Chandler versus Poirier, whoo, that's gonna be a fight. Yeah, Ch- Poirier just has to get through some other guy first, and then they'll be able to challenge for the title again. Who's that? I don't know. I think it's a no name. <laughs> He'll be a no name pretty soon. <laughs> no, quick shout out, Conor McGregor, number one on the Forbes list for athletes. Uh, Richest athletes of 2021. Used to be on welfare. You know, that conversation that he had with with Ronaldo. That's funny. You know? That was so funny. Mystic Mac, man. He predicts these things. I predict these things. (laughs) All right. So that'll be our show tonight. Uh, We are both rocking with Iron Michael Chandler. Uh, So it turned out that we ended up with three. Marco's going to be so mad at us. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It turns out uh, we have three similarities, two differences. So let's have a good night. Watch those fights will end up splitting, and we'll just all we'll be tied. Just don't want to lose the main event. Me neither. But hey, if you can, we can make a little, you know, Ferguson Chandler parlay. They're both plus odds. Okay. I don't. I don't bet, so I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> Must have been some other Rafa in these texts. What? <laughs> <laughs> All right, that'll be it for to, for this episode. Thank you guys for tuning in. Hope you enjoy UFC 252, and we will be, we will be back in the studio on Sunday night to recap. Is that correct? Houston Our with first... fans. Let's go. <laughs> Sunday night. That's what we're shooting for now. Aaron Judge is a king. We're not. Don't try to go to Sunday second night. base on that guy. Sorry. No, we are going to record. We are going to record. He looks safe to me. All right. Thank you, guys. We'll talk to you next time. Have a good one.